Today on Unleashed Cast, Unleashed's very own Ali Navrat talks to Dr. Gabriella Kellerman. She is Chief Product and Innovation Officer at BetterUp. Now, they talk about her book, Tomorrow Mind, Thriving at Work, Now and in an Uncertain Future, and the PRISM acronym, and plenty more besides. I don't want to give it all away. So here's Ali's great conversation with Gabriella Kellerman. Hello and welcome to Unleashed Cast. My name is Ali Navrat, Senior Journalist at Unleashed, and I'm super excited to be joined by Gabriella Kellerman, MD and Chief Product Officer at BetterUp. Thank you so much for taking the time, Gabriella. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Ali, for uh, inviting me to be with you. Amazing. Um, we were just saying, weren't we, that last time we chatted was kind of back in February when in rainy London in the Tate Modern, and we were talking about this new book that you've got out with um, Marty Seligman. And I kind of, you know, as I was just saying, I I read it on a plane. I haven't really stopped thinking and talking about it since. I think all my friends are a bit, a little bit fed up with me, really. Um, but before I kind of give anything away, why don't why don't you tell me about all about the book, really? What was the motivation? Why was now the time to write this book? And why why Marty? Why why the decision to partner with him? Yeah. So um, thanks for the question. So we Marty and I have been researching together for the last six years now, studying. The challenges of thriving at work in this very unusual world of work that we're in. We've been doing that on, on his side through University of Pennsylvania and on my side through BetterUp Labs, which is the research arm of BetterUp. And it's devoted to these challenges in the workplace, challenges that we're trying to help people with um, one individual at a time, that we have a lot of data to study in order to help us understand what they're up against, in order to help us understand what are the key skills that they need uh, in order to be successful? And, and then what are the interventions we can build to help them get there? Um, and we got to a point after all of these years of research where, although we're publishing a lot, both in academic and, and general journals, um, we, uh, we felt like we have this broader, higher altitude perspective we wanted to share and a book would be the best way to do it. Amazing. Yeah. So obviously, kind of the main crux of the book is to kind of talk about these five psychological skills that can kind of help us thrive, as you said, in this very ever evolving, ever changing, ever complicated world of work. I just wondered if you could talk through those skills. Um, And I remember when we when we met, we had a lot of discussion about skills versus traits. So why are these kind of learnable skills rather than innate traits that we all kind of can't fix and stuck? stuck Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Um, So I'll I'll speak to the second piece first, which is this idea of states versus traits. You know, for those who are unfamiliar with that language, um, one is something that's we think of as like fixed about our personality or who we are, and one is more something that we can change and develop. And our interest is really in the things that we can change and develop. We want to help people with self-awareness of the state-based or the, the trait-based features, um, but we're very focused on, on how people can change. And I will say that even that distinction between state and trait is starting to um, elide a little bit, and we're seeing that there's research on states that sometimes they're more fixed and on traits that they can be changed, that even things like introversion, extroversion, which you know we think of as so hardwired, there's ways of, of modifying that um, that can be adaptive. And so um, I, the big picture is we're working on helping people understand the skills that they want to build, mm-hmm. things that they can change and develop, uh, rather than just telling them, you know, here's who you are and, and good luck to you. 
So the five skills are summarized by the acronym PRISM, P-R-I-S-M. And we came to these, again, through studying individuals at work who are trying to make a go of it. And we have hundreds of thousands of people in in our database now across industries and levels and um, income ranges. We also have a lot of, you know, consulted now with hundreds of companies in the in the Fortune 1000 global companies, you know, in, the, in America and be based in America and beyond. Um, and then looking at large data sets that are publicly available through some of the leading think tanks that study kind of future of work trends. And so across all those, we came up with these five skills. PRISM, I'll go through what they are. P is prospection, which is our ability to imagine and plan for the future. This is not about fortune telling. This is about imagining an array of possibilities um, and then being able to position ourselves in an agile manner against those. Uh, It's both about being able to get ahead of change and psychologically being more proactive about thinking about what could be coming that helps us feel more empowered when the next big change hits. The second is R is resilience, which is our ability to A, bounce back from change without harm, but B, maybe even grow stronger through that challenge. Um, And there are some core psychological drivers of resilience that we help people build. The I is for innovation, which is so critical today. We're relying on everyone in the company at every level to be a creative versus an older model where there was just one team of creatives. We all need to bring that innovation energy today. And so how do we do that? How do we cultivate it at the individual level, at the team level, at the organizational level? S is for social connection. And in particular, we introduced this concept of rapid rapport, which is how do we quickly build trust across difference? That's sort of the unique piece of social connection that we're up against today because we don't have a lot of time. We're still very different, but our companies need us to be connecting in terms of the collaborative output, in terms of the customer service that we're providing, and we need it for our own well-being too. So all of these challenges are there and they're real, but we have to overcome them. And then the last is M is mattering. So this is the sense that what we do matters and it's easily challenged in an environment where we're constantly shifting products, where uh, you know, where our roles are changing all the time. How do we keep that steady sense of connection to the purpose of what we're doing, to a sense of meaning in what we're doing? And, you know, at some very base level, mattering is sort of the lowest bar there is in the world of meaning and purpose that what I do has some impact on the world around me that is uh, intentional. Yeah, amazing. I think the one that's kind of hardest for me anyway, to kind of um, envisage is prospection. And I remember when we were chatting, you kind of gave the example of Slack um, and how, I can't remember the name of the CEO, Stuart Butterfield, is that right? Off the top of my Uh head. (laughs) Um, I just wondered if you could kind of give that example again, just to kind of explain what that means in practice. I think it's maybe the more kind of harder to, you know, envisage one. Sure. So the the Stuart Butterfield example was actually an example of a type of innovation Mm -hmm. um, versus prospection. Um, I'm happy to speak to to the prospection, then maybe we could come back to those as innovation pieces. (laughs) Um, So yes, it is a little bit of an abstract idea of prospection. But um, if we look at how we spend our, our 
time in terms of our internal thoughts? What do we spend our time thinking about? Um, and we divide it into the present, the past, and the future. So our colleague, Roy Baumeister, did this, and he sampled people's thoughts at intervals over the course of many weeks. Um, he found that we spend most of our time thinking about the present, which is basically within five minutes of this exact moment right now. Um, but after that, a lot of the, the rest of the time is about the future. What could be happening? What might be happening? Some of it's daydreaming about kind of big ideas, what I want to happen. Some of it's more about planning. Um, so we know that a huge part of what we're doing with our thoughts is, is thinking about the future and all of that would be prospection. Uh, and in the workplace, there's lots of different dimensions of the future that we're trying to think about. We're thinking about our own individual trajectory in our career. We're thinking about the team's work and what needs to be delivered in the next three months, six months, et cetera. We're thinking about the organization's future and the strategy and, the, and planning for that. And so we can then take as an endeavor, understanding how we think about the future, how all of those thoughts work, what are the different ways of thinking about the future, where do we get in our own way, um, and how can we overcome that? And uh, one, one core piece of that that I'll leave you with is there's two phases in terms of how we think about the future. The first is fast, and it's optimistic, and it's divergent. So when we're initially thinking about some new idea about the future, we think kind of big and we think optimistically, um, but within just a few seconds, in some cases, we then transition into the second phase, which is much more deliberative. It can be more pessimistic for some people. It's more about evaluating the possibilities, reality testing. We quickly cross a huge number of possibilities off the list without even realizing we're doing that and kind of settle in on one or two and, and really start planning toward them. And so in each of those phases, there's errors that we tend to make. There's ways of overcoming that. Um, and there's ways of building a more robust skill set around both of those phases so that we can get to a more effective, more pragmatic way of, of thinking about the future that empowers us in an environment where it's coming fast and furious every day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, going back to the kind of um, these, as you said, um, you know, mentioned the Slack example, but there's also in the in the book, you do draw on quite a lot of examples of companies that are already kind of doing a great job around Prism and about around kind of supporting employees in, you know, to develop these psychological skills. I mean, some that come to mind, you know, Slack, Adobe, Amazon, Hilton, Southwest Airlines was one that really stuck with me. What would you say are kind of the main lessons that employees can learn from, you know, some of these examples? Yeah. So I think a number of the ones you listed, we talk about in the book because of the ways that they're leading uh, in building a culture of creativity. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of these companies, for example, have as uh, a not just a, um, a leadership competency, but as a value, mm -hmm. something about creativity, you know, might be um, create the future is one that's out there for one of those companies. Um, how does everyone come together? to bring their their creative energy and, and it honors that every person from manufacturing to frontline customer service all the way up to the c-suite has creative capabilities and is facing novel problems mm -hmm. that they need to bring creativity to bear on and um, there's also a lot that they're doing to kind of celebrate those individuals and and, and recognize their contributions 
Um, and uh, and then culturally to embed principles of of psychological safety, of participation, um, of risk tolerance. There's there's a lot of of mov- movement right now, um, in particular in the financial industry, which is interesting. But there there's so many companies that have their reputation for so long has been about risk mitigation, risk management, and yet they're operating just like the rest of us in these environments of uncertainty where they need to act quickly, they need to act more quickly than they're used to. And so that does require a different appetite for risk. And it's taking them out of their comfort zone, but it's actually necessary to do business and to succeed in business today. So how do we open up that space so people feel safe doing that, so people can actually be a little uncomfortable in, in building those skills? And part of what these companies are doing right is really allowing for that and modeling that and talking about it. There are some other structural pieces that companies can be tackling and how they invest in building these skills. And so you mentioned Hilton. Hilton's one example we offer in the book where um, they're really looking at how do we bring together all of the efforts that are about employee sustainability, employee well-being, which is really the underpinning of just having the resources to get through this, the psychological resources to get through this with all of the conversations about performance and skills and bring that all together because it is all one brain. It's ultimately all one endeavor. And um, we've split those initiatives historically for reasons that actually have to do with the industrial revolution, if you can believe that. Uh, And we're not conscious of that. And we're just sort of doing the same thing over and over again. But to build a skill like prospection across your workforce, to build a skill like innovation, we need to bring the whole uh, arsenal of behavioral science to bear on that problem. We can't be slicing and dicing people in these artificial ways and to structurally embody that in bringing together the parts of the organization that then can be ultimately held accountable for employee thriving and readiness. You know, that's that's a, a big first step. Amazing. Obviously, Unleashedcast is listened to by HR leaders kind of across the world. And one bit of terror in mind that really surprised me was that you talked quite a lot at the at kind of the final chapters about kind of rewiring HR and rethinking some of these silos that exist within HR, you know, between benefits and rewards and L&D, which is definitely true, but not something I'd ever thought about. And as you said, it kind of is quite a long standing silo. Um, I just kind of wondered, what is your main advice to you know the HR professionals listening? Where should they start in you know not just rebuilding their organizations, but actually just rebuilding their department to begin? Yeah. So I think that now is a great time to be doing this um, because there's a performance imperative for every company right now in every sector. Uh, you know, there's unfortunately been layoffs due to the economic uh, recession and. And so the focus is how do we get the highest performance out of each and every employee who remains in the company? To do that, you need to harness their entire psychological set of capabilities. Mm -hmm. And again, it comes back to saying holistically, how do we get the most out of our people through these smart evidence-based investments in building these capabilities? And so to have a function, a large empowered function, doesn't even have to be that large, but an empowered function that's focused on this and that has under it all of these pieces that were historically splintered and siloed, but are ultimately part of this. And so that includes everyone who's thinking about psychological well-being, everyone who's thinking about performance, everyone who's thinking about leadership, 
bring all of those things together into one integrated function, give that function metrics associated with performance that have leading indicators that go back to things like cognitive agility or even emotional regulation. These are things you can measure. These are not clinical concepts. These are just about how our brains work. And there are lots of things that we can do to help people optimize that and really accelerate um, the development of these important professional skills at the atomic level. And so then what you have are leading indicators that help you get ahead of performance indicators, which are really the, the lagging indicators, help you know where do you need to shore up the performance capability, the performance potential, as our CEO, Alexi Robichaud will say, of your, uh, of your people. If you can shore up the performance potential, then now you are in a meta way getting ahead of the change to come. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's just such, I mean, the book is just such an amazing kind of um, guide, kind of, you know, strategy guidelines into how we can really try and do the best we can to thrive in what I believe you guys call kind of the white water, you know, this never ending kind of change. Um, So yeah, is there any kind of, any final takeaways, any kind of final top tips for kind of employers who are struggling with these, you know, struggling to actually put this into practice, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important pieces of what we're trying to contribute and and the metaphor of the whitewater from our advisor, John Seeley Brown, is part of that is right now, each and every person listening to this is in the middle of some change or maybe at the nexus of multiple major changes happening organizationally, industry, globally, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are actually in a true crisis moment of change as they're listening. And it's very easy in those moments to kind of be in the suck of a particular challenge Mm -hmm. and think about really focus our energies in a reactive way on that challenge. And it's not that we don't need to do that. In some cases, that's all you really can do for a little while. But the project of what we're talking about with Tomorrow Mind and the project of thriving in our careers is all about all of those challenges. It's not about any one crisis. It's about the fact that those, for better or for worse, and there are some good sides to this, they're going to keep coming at us you know, every quarter, every six months, every year, these major changes for the rest of our careers, that is the new reality that we're living in. And so how do we build the skills that arm us for the duration of the career for the, you know, the entire forest of change, not just any one tree, even though those trees can be really real and painful in, in this exact moment um, and draw confidence from the fact that you've already come through a lot of those, right? You have many of those in your rear view. So there's many that will come in these like uh, in these future future minded goggles and there's many in your rear view. And so investing the time in the skills that will take you through all of those is, is the project versus sort of getting too in, uh, attached to any one issue, which you, know, you will get through and, and it will be behind you. And then you're just on to the next one. Amazing. I love that forest versus the tree. That's such a good way of looking at it. Well, thank you so much, Gabriella. It was amazing to have you on and great to chat again. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Holly. You too.